Can Jesus' prediction of the temple destruction help us date the Gospels? What is the nature of history and the resurrection? And can we know that the resurrection happened through historical investigation? My name is Hayden Clark, and this is Help Me Believe. Before we get started, I want to let you know about some upcoming interviews. I don't pretend that you all subscribe to hear episodes where it's just me commentating. I know the interviews are what you are here for, and I strive daily to find more and more guests to have on the show. But sometimes you run into a bit of a dry spell, and so I try to fill those weeks with content like today, where I will be commentating on some blog posts that I've written recently. But coming up next week, I'll be interviewing Paul Gould on Cultural Apologetics, a book he's written recently. Uh, I've scheduled an interview with Michael J. Kruger in November on the formation of the New Testament and its reliability. I'm trying to find more New Testament scholars to have on to discuss that topic as it's one that uh, deeply interests me and not one that we've addressed a lot here on the podcast. I've been in contact with Andrew Loke, a philosopher from Hong Kong, to discuss his cosmological argument, which will probably take place at the beginning of next year. And I've also been in contact with Luke Barnes uh, to come on and discuss the fine-tuning argument for God. Looking forward to that one. So I'm just saying that uh, I am trying to have people on, but uh, just with scheduling and things like that, it can sometimes be difficult. So until then, you're stuck with me. Now, it is no secret that Jesus' prediction of the destruction of the temple is the driving force of the dating of the Gospels. Now, there may be some other factors that scholars consider, but this one data point seems to be the rudder that is guiding the ship that is the dating of the Gospels. And so the argument goes, more or less, that the author of Mark, assuming that Mark wrote first, recorded Jesus prophesying the destruction of the temple because Mark, or whoever wrote the Gospel of Mark, was looking back on an event that had already occurred by the time of his writing. Hence, the Gospel had to be written after 70 CE when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. While this is one way of explaining the event, some things should be pointed out. The first is that the argument rests on not a small assumption, namely that Jesus was incapable of such a prediction. Now, before the skeptic remarks, you would have to assume that he was divine in order to believe that he could make such a prediction, and historians do not make such assumptions. Hear me out. I do not mean that historians, when they date the Gospels these ways, are assuming that Jesus wasn't divine and therefore not capable of making such a prediction. For the sake of argument, let us assume that Jesus was merely a man. For my Christian audience, let me reiterate that this is simply for the sake of argument. Now the question I'm interested in asking is, is a mere man incapable of making such a prediction? Now, imagine for a moment that the political lines here in the United States become more and more polarized, that tensions rise and rise, and that a wave of violence sweeps across the country. Unfortunately, that isn't too hard to imagine, though I am more optimistic than that. And imagine that for the next 20 years such a pattern continues. And imagine that a certain political pundit were to write an undated article that said, the United States is headed for a second civil war. Probably somebody's already said that, and if they have, I'm sorry, I don't keep up that much. Now keep following along in my uh, thought experiment here, and imagine that this prophecy, quote-unquote, were to come true some 10 years after the pundit's article. Would a future historian, some 100 years in the future, be forced to conclude that the pundit was divine? Would the future historian be forced to conclude that the pundit had to have been writing after the fact of the Second Civil War? Surely not. 
Mere men, and women of course, can make predictions like this. You can look at the events around you and predict what might happen with some amount of certainty. Yet somebody might say, but the details of a siege and a famine in the text, they're too exact. This was no mere general prediction that somebody could have made beforehand. While there's still a bit of assumption here, the objector is forgetting an elephant in the room, and the name of that elephant is the Old Testament. Let's look at Mark 13 uh, briefly here. It says, And as he, Jesus, was going out of the temple courts, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what great stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here on another stone that will not be thrown down. That's Mark 13, 1 through 2 in the Lexham English Bible. Jesus' prediction here is actually quite vague. It is very general. It is in his quote-unquote, signs of the end of the age, according to the, head t- uh, the titles in the, in, the, in the Bible, it's here that more detail is added. Let's look at Matthew 24, verses 7 and 8. It says, For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are the beginning of birth pains. We get a little bit more detail. Even more so, in Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 22, it says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Then know that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those inside it must depart, and those in the fields must not enter it, because there are days of vengeance. These are days of vengeance, so that all the things that are written can be fulfilled. Now the point I want to make is that these details mentioned here in these passages can be found in the Old Testament with regards to the first temple destruction. In fact, Luke explicitly says that these things will fulfill, quote-unquote, the things that are written. So this should be expected. The famines reference can be found in 2 Kings 25.3, which is a passage about the destruction of Jerusalem, and hence the temple. Also, there is mention in this same passage, again in 2 Kings 25, of an encampment or siege against Jerusalem. The earthquakes is likewise found in Zechariah 14.5, a passage that also mentions all the nations rising up against Jerusalem, as well as the quote-unquote, fleeing by the valley of my mountains. The birth pains reference is found in Isaiah 13.8, a passage that you guessed it, is also about the destruction of the temple. Every single detail of Jesus' prediction here can be found in Old Testament passages that predict the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. As C.H. Dodd said, there is no single trait of the forecast which cannot be documented directly out of the Old Testament. So the question is, is Mark looking back on the event of 70 CE after it had already happened and therefore putting words into Jesus' mouth to make him look prophetic? Or is Jesus simply aware of his surroundings and his Old Testament? What is truly out of the ordinary here is is that none of the gospel writers say something to the effect of, and this came true when Titus destroyed the temple. Now, lest you think this is an argument from silence, the gospel writers did in fact record prophecies that had come true by the time of their writings. See Acts 11, 27-28, where Luke writes that a famine was prophesied and then eventually did happen. Or also, just read the entire Gospel of Matthew, for he records countless Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled by the time of his writing. If Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple and the Gospel writers knew that it had come true by the time they'd written, wouldn't they record it? If they made up Jesus' prediction because they were writing after the fact, wouldn't they include a parenthetical statement that it came true like they do elsewhere? Maybe not, but the fact that they don't is certainly suspicious. 
We also know that Jesus wasn't alone in his prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem and or the temple. We know from Josephus that others were predicting the exact same thing reportedly before the events happened. See Josephus' Jewish Wars. Now based on the first century understanding of the prophet Daniel, we know that there was an expectation that such events would take place during the rule of the Romans. See Brant Petrae on the first century understanding of Daniel 2, 7, and 9 in his The Case for Jesus, the Biblical and Historical Evidence, in chapter 8. Whether or not the prophecies in Daniel 2, 7, and 9 actually were uh, depicting the second temple destruction in 70 CE is simply irrelevant, for we know that first century Jews had interpreted it this way and were expecting it, and so we have no reason to think that Jesus uh, thought any differently. Now, given this understanding, should we not reassess the dating of the Gospels? Perhaps they were written after 70 CE, but surely not because of Jesus' prediction here. This way of dating the Gospels, as far as I can tell, makes an unfounded philosophical assumption and completely ignores the first century understanding of the Old Testament, as well as the fact that Jesus is simply quoting the Old Testament in his detailing of the destruction. Now, as a side note for the Christian audience, yes, I believe Jesus was the divine Son of God, or is the divine Son of God, and in retrospect of his resurrection, I believe he was perfectly capable of predicting a future event in exact detail. The point here is simply that even from a skeptical viewpoint where you do not accept the divinity of Jesus, the assumption that Jesus could not have or would not have made such a prediction is completely unfounded. Now, here in a second, I want to move on to the history and the resurrection. But first, I want to say thank you to all of our patron supporters for your financial support. Because of your generous giving, I'm able to create free material like this that spreads the truth of Christianity. So, thank you to all the patrons. If you're listening or watching and you would like to support Help Me Believe, a ministry that aims to spread and defend the truth of Christianity, you can do so by following the Patreon link in the description below labeled Support Help Me Believe and become a patron. With your support, you'll get access to live Q&A, early releases, bonus segments, book reveals, and much more. Again, just follow the link below and become a patron. Now, if I'm not reading, there's a good chance that I'm listening to or watching a debate or some sort of lecture on apologetics or philosophy, history, that sort of stuff. In almost all the debates that I've watched on the resurrection, at some point during the debate, without fail, someone will say something to the effect of, history cannot prove a miracle. Look no further than Bart Ehrman, who says in all of his debates, quote, a miracle is by definition the least probable explanation. Now, however appealing these objections may seem at first, I think that a better understanding of history as well as the resurrection will reveal them to be vacuous. So let's look at the nature of history. For one thing, history doesn't prove, that is with certainty, anything. History is the study of events that happened in the past. The past cannot be observed, nor can we run experiments on the past. In fact, the past, like the future, doesn't even exist, not anymore. So to say that you are certain about an event that occurred 2,000 years ago is dishonest. You aren't. At best, you have some sort of probabilistic knowledge. You are 2,000 years removed from a time and place that no longer exists. There's plenty of room for doubt. However, none of this means that the past is unknowable. We don't need to have certainty in order to know something. If we did, we would literally know just about nothing, and our species would never have developed into what we have become. 
History is important. Knowledge of the past is vital. You couldn't function properly if you didn't have knowledge of the immediate past stored in your memory. But knowledge of the distant past is as important as well. It is important that we understand what led to the atrocities of the past, lest we repeat them. And of course, for anybody that just honestly seeks truth, you'll, you'll admit that the, the knowledge of the past and the study of history is worth knowing. Now, the nature of the resurrection is often misunderstood. We speak of the resurrection as one event. While this is an accurate way to speak, obviously Jesus' coming back to life would, would constitute a single event. I would like to propose another way of thinking about things. And this doesn't originate with me. In fact, I think I've heard William Lane Craig uh, put it this way too. But think of the resurrection as three events. Number one, Jesus lived. Event number two, Jesus died. And event number three, Jesus lived again. Without all three of those events, you could not have a resurrection. Now, if history is the tool by which we study events in the past, then history certainly is the tool for the job of discovering whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. The probability of miracles occurring just simply doesn't matter, as Ehrman insists. The question is simply, what evidence do we have for each event? Is it probable that Jesus lived? Is it probable that Jesus died? Is it probable that Jesus lived again? As it is, events 1 and 2, that Jesus lived and was crucified by Pontius Pilate, are accepted by virtually everyone. Nobody seriously thinks that Jesus did not exist, except for a handful of mythicists. The evidence for Jesus' life, ironically, is the overwhelming attestation to his crucifixion, which Bart Ehrman says there's about 13 or 14 independent attesta early attestations to Jesus' crucifixion. The question really comes down to this. What historical evidence do we have that he lived again? And we're brought back to the minimal facts argument that nearly all historians agree upon. Namely, that Jesus was crucified, Jesus' tomb was empty and found by a group of his women followers, Jesus' disciples believed to have experiences with his risen body, and two skeptics, at least, Paul and James, believed to have had, believed to have had experiences with the risen Jesus. Now, these are historical facts that the majority of New Testament historians agree on. The question is, what best explains them? The historical facts do not tell us what the explanation is. We must hypothesize and ask which explanation best fits the data. Now, I think, believe when we examine the naturalistic explanations of this data, we find them severely wanting, whereas the resurrection has both explanatory power, explanatory scope, and also is not ad hoc. Now, obviously, each of those claims would need to be defended, which I and others, much more intelligent than I, have d defended elsewhere and probably will again in the future. But the point for today is simply to say that discovering whether or not the resurrection is probably true or probably false is not beyond the scope of historical investigation. It simply comes down to, are the events probably true or probably false? Namely, the event that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus lived again. Well, that's all for today. Thanks so much for joining me. If you enjoyed enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review. And of course, if you want to uh, support Help Me Believe, follow the Patreon link in the description below and become a patron where you'll get uh, a lot of bonus material. Thanks so much for joining me, guys, and we'll see you next time.